Lynn Hiles Ministries presents Dr. Lynn Hiles That You Might Have Life. And here's your host, Dr. Lynn Hiles. Thank you for joining us again today and may God bless you for tuning in every week at the same time and uh, making us part of your schedule. Uh, we're going to begin a series uh, today. This will be the first one that we're going to do on the series, but we're going to begin a series on the book of Hebrews. And over the next several weeks, we're going to te be teaching uh, a series from the book of Hebrews, and I believe you will be blessed by tuning in every week or setting your DVR. Um, you can watch them then at your leisure. Let me say very quickly, uh, for those of you who are just tuning in maybe perhaps for the first time, that if you are enjoying what you're seeing, you can go to our YouTube page, and everything that we have aired to date is there on that YouTube page that you can watch on demand. Uh, the easiest way to do it is just simply go to our website at lynnhiles.com. Of course, you'll see that on the screen and on our uh, screen right there. And there is a direct link right straight from our website to our YouTube page. Go there and subscribe to that page and you'll receive a notice every time we upload a brand new program. Uh, also, there is from our website there a link that it will take you directly to our uh, podcast on iTunes, and you can get the audio portion of this, download it, listen to it in your automobile on your way to work, uh, or just redeeming time when you're in your car. It's a great way to get the Word and just keep the Word of God in your heart and before your face and eyes, and, and uh, it'll just build you up in your most holy faith. There's also an RSS feed there for other devices other than Apple, and uh, you'll be blessed by, uh, by doing that. Uh, once again, uh, we are thankful that you uh, tune in every week, and uh, we are going to begin today talking about the book of Hebrews. Of course, it doesn't take a uh, rocket scientist, I guess, to figure out that the book of Hebrews was written to Hebrews. You say, well, how do you know that? Because that's the title of the book. Of course, if you go back and study the historic backdrop of this, uh, this book, uh, this book was written, uh, most date this book, somewhere between 64 to 68 A.D., 30-some years into or 30-some years after uh, the sacrifice of Jesus had been given. Uh, they are 30-some years into the New Covenant, and many of these Hebrew believers are wanting to go back to Judaism. Now, I don't know who the author of the book of Hebrews is, and uh, I, I always seem to kind of uh, regress and just say it was Paul, uh, but uh, there are some evidence that seems to think that it's not Paul, and, and some of that's pretty uh, convincing arguments. Some think it was uh, Timothy or perhaps Barnabas or Luke or one of those. Uh, I believe it was probably, if not written by Paul, it was probably heavily influenced by him because he was one of the greatest uh, writers to dispute, and he was educated enough to be able to talk about the uh, sacrifices that you see in the book of Hebrews and uh, some of the things that you see in there that relate to Old Testament uh, sacrifices, Old Testament rituals, divers washings, and so forth. Uh, he would have been learned enough to do it. Uh, the issue to me is not so much authorship as it is that I believe it was breathed by the Holy Ghost. It is probably one of the most incredible legal treaties of the New Covenant than any other, I think, probably book of the Bible, maybe other than perhaps Galatians. But what the writer of Hebrews does is goes into great length 
to be able to tell you what is better about Christ and the new covenant than it was about the old covenant. You're going to see that he is better than angels in chapter 1 because the angels of God worship him. He's better than Moses because Moses was a servant in his house, but Jesus is son over his house. He's better than Levi because there's a priesthood after the order of Melchizedek. Uh, he's, he's a better tabernacle. Uh, he is a uh, better sacrifice, better promises, better blood, a better covenant. Everything about this book of Hebrews is the key words here are either better or more excellent. And if you would kind of tune in on them, I think you will be blessed. But I really believe that the whole thing, the thing that opens the book of Hebrews, at least to me, is an understanding that this was written to Hebrews. And it was written to Hebrews who were making the transition out of Judaism and into Christianity, or if you will, the New Covenant. And they are 37 years into the New Covenant, and they are being persecuted. They are losing loved ones in the arenas. They are losing the spoiling of their goods. A whole lot of stuff is happening, and they are tempted to go back to Judaism, which was fading away. And, uh, uh, and they were tempted to go back to all of the shadow rather than to remain in the substance, which is Christ. Now, I think that's powerful, and those are going to be the key themes that we're going to talk about in this book of Hebrews. Let's get started by reading, first of all, Hebrews 1 in uh, the first couple of verses, and probably it'll take a whole program to just set the stage here uh, for the first couple of verses. But it says, God, who at sundry times and in divers manners spake in time past unto the fathers by the prophets. Now, this is a key word here that you cannot miss. If I were studying and you're sitting there taking notes, I would underline this first word in verse 2, hath. Hath. Hath does not mean God is going to. It is a past tense term. He's saying something that God has already done here. So he's telling them that God used to, at various ways and in various times, spoke in various manners uh, by, in, in, under the fathers, by the prophets. Hath, that's past tense. Hath, in these last days, spoken to us by his Son, whom he has appointed heir of all things, by whom also he made the worlds. Now let me, before I get into anything else, I'm going to unpack this. It says, Hath in these last days spoken to unto us by the Son, whom he hath appointed heir of all things. Now that's powerful. By whom also he made the worlds. Now one of the first things that really opened this book to me, and it's going to help us as we get on into the book of Hebrews and really studying this, is to understand that what we do with the Scripture, when we read verse 2, we say, God hath in these last days spoke to us by His Son, and we think that God is saying that to us in 2017, uh, and then we grab a hold of that with our last days, whatever, however our view of last days is, and we throw that way out here in 2017 and say, God has in these last days spoken to us by the Son. But that's really not the context here. Context to me is everything. What is the backdrop? Who is he talking to? And what is the time slot again of, this, uh, of these verses? It's very important. I think a text out of context is just a con. 
And let me just say to you, what he says is, God has in these last days spoken unto us by his Son, whom he hath appointed heir of all things, by whom also he made the worlds. The way the Holy Spirit really dealt with me to bring me into an understanding of the new covenant and the message of grace particularly was through this particular verse was one of the major uh, catapults that literally thrust me into really preaching grace and the new covenant. And as I began to read over this one day, I was reading this, God hath in these last days spoken to us by the Son. And I was thinking in terms of, well, we're, you know, uh, living in the last days. But the Holy Spirit said to me when I was reading over this, that He was not talking to us in 2017. He was talking to them in 64 to 68 AD, and He is calling this day when the book of Hebrews is written. He said, God hath in these last days spoken to us by the Son. Now before you change the channel, all I ask you to do is just hear me out and stay with me just a little bit because I think this will make great sense to you. When I begin to realize that what he was talking about here was not the last days of this age, but it was the last days of the Old Covenant age. It was the last days of the fading away of the Old Covenant, of the Mosaic system and of Judaism. So the last days, see here's one of the things that I think is going to help us very, very much in our study is to understand that, that uh, you know, these scriptures that deal with last days are not so much dispensational as they are covenantal. You say, what do you mean? Well, you know, some of the last shows that we did recently, we talked about different kinds of covenant uh, you know, that, that there are in the scriptures, back even several months back, we had on with us Dr. Jonathan Welton, who was the uh, uh, head of Welton Academy, and we were talking about the different kinds of covenant. But what we don't realize, and see, there's still a great deal of confusion today in the body of Christ when we're trying to figure out how the God of the Old Testament looks so much different than the God of the New Testament, seemingly. But really the issue is not that God changes. The issue is the covenant changes. And so God deals with the people that He is in covenant with based on that covenant. And so God was, you know, even with the old covenant of the Mosaic covenant, when God was really coming to the end, He gave them every opportunity to repent and to come out of that old covenant to receive their Messiah. And uh, they, you know, they, there was a great multitude of these Jewish folks uh, who did not move away from this old covenant, who were destroyed in AD 70 in the destruction of Jerusalem and the destruction of the temple. Now this is one of the, when I, once again, see, if we're going to see this, we're going to see some stuff make sense. And if we don't get this, and this first chapter, and I'll probably come, you know, and, and, and reiterate this all the way through this quite a bit, because if we don't get the, uh, the timing of this book, we're going to misunderstand a whole lot of stuff as we get over into the book of Hebrews about, you know, uh, uh, things like, uh, uh, you know, if you sin willfully, uh, you, there remains no more sacrifice for sin and a certain fearful looking for a fiery indignation. See, if, we're gonna, if we don't understand the time slot this is, we won't understand the context of those judgments and wrath that was coming upon people, not in a new covenant era, 
but God keeping His end of the covenant bargain of the Mosaic system because they refused to move away from that old covenant system of animal sacrifice and receive the sacrifice of Jesus that was much more uh, excellent, if you will, and better than any other sacrifice that could have been offered. And the whole admonition to them is do not go back. I am, I'm concerned, and one of the reasons I'm, I'm teaching the book of Hebrews is we have a lot of people trying to go back to Judaism. We're trying to celebrate the Jewish customs, the Jewish, uh, you know, we're dressing up like we're Jewish, and, 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 and to me, I'm not trying to make anybody mad here, but he, he didn't call us to be Jewish. He called us to be Christians. And he called us not to go back to these old covenant uh, ways. Now we can certainly take the, the shadows and use them to teach from, but uh, we have certainly moved into a better covenant with better promises and a better priesthood and a better tabernacle and everything about it is better. Now that being said, let me give you a couple other places where when I first started seeing this, God hath in these last days, and let me say again clearly, he's not talking here about the last days of this age. He was talking about the last days of that age of the law and the age of the old covenant. If you don't understand that, you're still going to be preaching the law as if we are under that covenant. But the fact that there's a new covenant, and Hebrews is going to tell you that quite a bit, ought to be clear that there's an old one, and that the new covenant is not an addendum to the old one. It's a brand new covenant based on better promises, better blood, a better priesthood, a better tabernacle. Everything about this covenant is better. Who wouldn't want something better? I don't know about you, but the more I look into the old covenant and the mosaic system, I thank God that I'm not under that. But see, if this was the only apostle who would say something like this, uh, then we probably wouldn't have uh, you know, too much problem maybe trying to explain it away. But then you see, uh, you see, for instance, the apostle Peter. Acts chapter 2, the Holy Spirit has just been poured out because Jesus came to deliver the promises that God had made in the Old Covenant. He came to deliver the promise of the Spirit, was one of the promises that He gave them. And He tells them, go into an upper room and wait for the promise of the Spirit. The promise of the Spirit, the inheritance of the Holy Spirit, was what He talked about even in John 14. Uh, he said, I'm going to send you another comforter. Now, the Holy Spirit was the indwelling presence of God, where under the Old Covenant, you had, uh, 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 it was based on, if you will, rules on rocks, I call it. But in the New Covenant, it's based on a relationship. In the Old Covenant, it was based on external things and external washings, external divers kinds of washings and sacrifices. But in the New Covenant, it's based on not external, but internal, indwelling Holy Spirit. Now, Peter, when the Holy Ghost is poured out, he stands up on the day of Pentecost and he gives this great message under the unction of the Holy Ghost. And he says, this is that which was spoken by the prophet Joel, that in the last day, saith God, I'm going to pour out my Spirit on all flesh. Now, Peter said that 2,000 years ago, and he was not, he, the second apostle is giving his rendition of what he's calling the last days, not as being something in the year 2017 or 2020 or any other thing that we want to 
hang out in, in the future. We're, you know, this particular segment is not just about eschatology. If you want to see some of our stuff on eschatology, go watch our playlist on the book of Revelation. What I'm trying to get, I think probably any serious scholar of the Word that takes the Word of God and believes it would have to know that Peter was saying, this is that, not this is what's going to happen when God moves in some place somewhere around the globe. He said, this is that. What? The pouring out of the Spirit on the day of Pentecost. He said, this is that which was spoken by the prophet Joel, watch this, that in the last days, saith God, I'm going to pour out my Spirit on all flesh. Now see, he's talking about the inclusion of the Gentiles there. He's saying, listen, in the last days, God is going to pour out His Spirit on all flesh. Now, that's not somewhere out in our future. That was the biblical last days of the old covenant that was coming to an end. Jesus, in the work of the cross, fulfilled every demand that the law could make. And at His resurrection began what was the fading out, or if you will, the book of Hebrews says, that which is old was fading away. And it took almost 40 years for that system that Jesus had so completely made, if you will, uh, 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 had fulfilled, had met all of its demands, who had uh, uh, delivered us from, uh, that it took about 40 years for that thing to fade away. And the final nail in the coffin was when the temple was destroyed in AD 70 so that they could not go back to animal sacrifice, and they could not go back to Judaism, and they could not go back to this, even if they would have wanted to. So you have the Apostle Peter in Acts chapter 2, and he said, this is that which was spoken by the prophet Joel, that in the last days, last days of what, Peter? The last days of the old covenant. Then you see another uh, uh, apostle, the Apostle John, in one of his epistles, he says this, he said, little children, we know that it is the last time because Antichrist is already on the scene. Now, he said that before any of these world events that we keep on trying to connect the uh, Antichrist to. He said this long before any of that ever happened. And he said, little children, we know that it is the last time because Antichrist is already on the scene. Now, uh, and he, but what he describes Antichrist as there is any spirit that confesses not that Jesus Christ is come in the flesh. So there's the Apostle John who is declaring to them uh, that he said, little children, we know that it is the last time because Antichrist is already on the scene. I want to say to you something that I think is very powerful, and that is that even, even with, see, Antichrist and the beast of Revelation are really two different things. The word Antichrist is not even mentioned in the book of Revelation. You can go look it up if you want to. The beast is mentioned, but you're going to have to compare apples for apples and peaches for peaches. But the Antichrist, the beast, and all of these different, they're, they're two completely different things. John's gospel, he's talking to Gnostics and he's talking to people who don't even believe Jesus physically, literally came in the flesh. He said, any spirit that confesses not that Jesus Christ is come in the flesh is a spirit of Antichrist. It was already in the earth clear back then. And I say this, before there was an Osama, Obama, or Chelsea's mama, or if you will, the last Trump. And uh, I say that in a joking manner, but we will find some way to come up with a future Antichrist when many, much of this stuff that we keep on trying to scare people with is not in your future. 
It can be historically uh, researched and documented. Let me just say this to you. Probably during about the same period of time of Hebrews, Nero was the Roman emperor that was in power. Nero's name literally has a numerical value of 666. And Nero himself set up a statue at a place called Agora. And he demanded emperor worship, that the people would worship the image, which if you look in the book of Daniel, Daniel will tell you in chapter 2, if you read it in the Amplified Bible, it will tell you that the fourth beast in Daniel's vision was Rome. The emperor or the head of that, that uh, Roman Empire at this particular time uh, was Nero. And uh, his name had a numerical value of 666. And uh, he set a statue of himself up at Agora, forced the people who were not uh, 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 Jews. See, one of the pressures of them wanting to go back to Judaism was because if you were Jewish and you were staying in the tradition of the Hebrew customs, you had, as it were, a grandfather clause that they did not force you uh, to worship the emperor because they uh, had, had, had a deal with the Romans that they wouldn't be forced to because they had no other gods before you. But uh, when you became a Christian, you no longer had that, if you will, grandfather clause to protect you so they could force you to do anything. So they forced them, the Christians, to, to burn in incense, to worship Nero and to call Nero Lord, and then they would take from the ashes of that incense offering and they would literally make a mark on your forehead or on your hand and without that mark, and then they would give you a writing of a libellus, and then if you did not have this writing of a libellus, you could not buy or sell in the marketplace without this writing of libellus. You can look that up in Wikipedia. I mean, that's just, uh, you can just look that, it'll just tell you about the libellus there, that they had to have it ordered to buy or sell. So Christians could not buy or sell without the mark of the beast. All that stuff can find a fulfillment historically in the first century under Nero. And I would also say this, he said, he that hath wisdom in the book of Revelation, he said that, you know, would, would understand that, uh, that there are five kings, five have fallen, one is and the other is not yet come. There were five kings in order until uh, Nero comes on the scene. And when Nero comes on the scene, he was the beast that Revelation talks about. Now, I'm just not going to go into a whole lot of that with eschatology because I just wanted to throw that out to you because there's a whole lot of stuff anymore about them trying to put some kind of a chip under your hands and fear, uh, you know, grips people again. And uh, the truth of it is, is it's not what's under your hand or what's on your head that really does he think it's really what's in your heart. It's what you worship and what you give yourself to. And so, you know, uh, a chip does not make you worship or not worship God any more than your credit card does. I'm not trying to be controversial here, and I'm sure somebody's going to write me a letter. Let me just tell you, save yourself the time. I've already looked into all of that. Uh, and I'm just trying to give uh, those of you who are looking for something beyond this fear stuff to understand that there's a lot of stuff that we keep on preaching that is nothing more than speculation it is nothing more than somebody's opinion when what I'm showing you can be historically documented and shown to be true. So that the last days that these apostles were talking about was not the last days of this age. It was the last days of the Mosaic system. Jesus himself comes on the scene and he tells them when he gives them the great discourse in Matthew chapter 24. He's standing there, and the backdrop again is all the beautiful buildings of the temple at Jerusalem. And he says to them, 
He said, do you see all of these things? Do you see all of this? He's pointing at the building. He said, not one stone is going to be left on another that shall not be thrown down. And then they ask him the question, when will these things be? What will be the sign of your coming? And three, the end of the world is what King James says. Now, if you read that in almost any other translation, it'll say, what will be the, uh, the sign of your coming? Uh, or, or when will these things be? What will be the sign? And the end of the world is translated in almost every other translation, the end of the age. Folks, there's a vast difference between the end of the age and the end of the world. One is global and the other is the Greek word eon. If you go back and look it up in, in, in concordance, if you look up the Greek word, I don't know why they translated the word world several different ways in the King James Bible. There's several different Greek words for world. Some's dealing with the, uh, you know, with the, the land of, of Palestine. Some is dealing with the, uh, you know, the, the ordered arrangement of things. But this word in Matthew 24 is not dealing with a global catastrophe. It was dealing with the end of an age. And Jesus said, they asked him, when will these things be? Will be the sign and the end of the age? And Jesus answers their question in Matthew 24, verse 34, when he says, this generation will not pass away until all these things come to pass. So he sets a time text of one generation from the time he gave that prophecy. And, and everything that's happening from the time Jesus gave that prophecy, this is very important to our study. Jesus gave that prophecy somewhere around 30 AD. And exactly 40 years later, in AD 70, Jerusalem, the temple, the sacrificial system is completely destroyed burnt to the ground. Zion is like a plowed field. It is the end of that age, and it is a 40-year, it's a 40-year transition period from the time Jesus gave that prophecy in 30 AD to AD 70, so that that 40-year gap is the biblical last days of the Old Covenant. It is the eschaton. It is the transitional generation of a 40-year transition period to move out of the law and into grace, just like it was a 40-year transition period to move from Egypt under the children of Israel into the promised land in, in, in the book of Joshua. That, it's not an accident. There's a whole lot of stuff could be said about that. Several places throughout the scriptures that talks about, you know, the last days, the last time. Little children, we know that it is the last time, because Antichrist is already on the scene. This is that which is spoken by the prophet Joel, that in the last days, Hebrews 1, God, who in sundry times, times past, spoke to us in through by the prophets, hath in these last days spoken to us by his Son. The last days that we're dealing with are not the last days of a global situation. It's the last days of the Old Covenant. We're about to run out of time. I encourage you to tune in and watch because we're going we're gonna to touch some stuff that I think will unlock and open some stuff to you. If you're enjoying this, tell your friends about us. If you'd like to become a partner with our ministry, we greatly welcome that. If you'd like to sow a seed into our ministry to take the gospel of the kingdom around the world, it is your partnership and your faithful support that helps us to be able to do that. And uh, when you buy our products or you get our books, that's what enables us to do it. Uh, do it today. Call that number on the screen or go to our website and do it. God bless you for tuning in is our prayer today.
I'm very excited to announce the release of my newest book. It is titled, From Law to Grace, A Kingdom Paradigm Shift. In this book, we talk about how the gospel is not about a law you have to keep. It is about receiving a life that will keep you. It is not about living this life out of fear. It is about living a life of faith. It is not about rules. It's about a relationship with a loving Father. It is about moving from the old covenant government of condemnation to the new covenant government of affirmation. It is about living life as a citizen of the kingdom right now.